So this morning, we're going to use this encounter between Thomas and Jesus to talk about the benefits and the limitations of skepticism. When Jamin asked if I'd be up for uh, tackling this topic, I was thrilled. I've always found it a little disheartening that Thomas is the only disciple who gets a nickname, because uh, it's not a good nickname, right? Doubting Thomas. It, it, this nickname is how we know this guy, and I think it's unfortunate, right? He gave three years of his life following Jesus, and then church history tells us that it continued on, and he actually died a martyr sharing about Jesus in India, of all places. And it's not like we've had all these negative stories up to this point of Thomas, you know, Thomas following Jesus one day and is like, Jesus, can we just rewind? Can we talk about that flood and that big old boat and those animals two by two? Because I'm just having a hard time with that, right? We don't, we don't have all these stories. I kind of wish we did. But we do have one place in John chapter 11 where we see Thomas, and it's the story of Lazarus. And Jesus tells his disciples that Lazarus has died, and now it's time to go see him. Now, they're confused. Shouldn't we have gone to see him before he died? Um, normally, it's Peter who speaks up whenever, like, two seconds of silence has passed. But this time, for some reason, he doesn't, and we get to hear from Thomas. And here's what he says. Let us also go that we might die with him. Now, there's different ways to interpret this. There's kind of the Eeyore. Well, I guess we're all going to die, so we might as well go. That's my Eeyore impression. Um, maybe it's he's had a bunch of caffeine that morning. He's just ready to go conquer something. Or maybe, maybe there's a little bit of sarcasm, a little snarkiness. I like to think there's probably a little snarkiness there. I like a bit of snarkiness in my Bible stories. Uh, I resonate with Thomas. Uh, he doesn't believe things just because somebody told him to believe it. He needs space to figure things out for himself. I'm all about this when it comes to things of God, but also just when it th- comes to anything else pretty much. Last summer, we, uh, we got a, an above-ground quarantine pool, and because we knew we weren't going anywhere, uh, we were going to be spending a lot of time outside, we, we paid for this service to spray for mosquitoes. Y'all, y'all know these. And uh, this guy would come, and he'd spend about five minutes spraying something, and then he'd leave and charge me 60 bucks. And I'm thinking, I bet I could do that. Mandy, don't you think I could do that? Shakes her head no, but also gives an exasperated why, because this is perhaps not the first time I've over-exaggerated my DIY skills. Every so often, I'd bring it up again because I'm persistent. And at some point, she gave in and said, I think it's a great idea. Or maybe instead it was, sure, whatever, quit asking me. Maybe that was it. So I did some research. I ordered some chemicals off the dark web. Not, not, I didn't do that part. Um, and last Sunday, the beginning of Easter, which I think is, is a great day, I mixed these chemicals in my sprayer. I didn't blow anything up, and then I sprayed. And uh, I'm pretty confident it's going to be awesome. Now, it's one thing to question mosquito services. It's quite another thing to question things pertaining to God. A lot of us grew up in places where, where questioning important things like our beliefs was frowned upon. We as humans frowned upon them because we thought God frowned upon them. 
Maybe we felt like our faith was a bit like a house built with cards, that if we ended up asking that one big question, it was as if we were pulling, taking one of those cards out, and the whole thing might topple over. So we didn't ask questions. We learned the right answers, and we kept our mouths shut. Have you heard the story about the, the Sunday school class, and uh, the teacher says, okay, kids, what is small and has a bushy tail and likes to jump around in trees and eat acorns? And little Johnny says, well, it sounds like a squirrel, but I know the answer must be Jesus. Because everybody smiles and nods when we do that. There are reasons we feel this way. Uh, what is it that Jesus tells Thomas? Stop doubting and believe. Now, this isn't some fundamentalist preacher saying this. This is Jesus. And this statement, taken on its own, has messed a lot of people up, and it's wrong. Now, before you throw something at me, I'm not saying that Jesus is wrong. I'm saying that the way we've interpreted Jesus in this statement is wrong. Because taking this at face value says that doubting is wrong, that Jesus frowns upon our questions, our skepticism, that he's just much happier when we have the right answers. And certainty then becomes the goal. The more certain you are of your beliefs, the stronger your faith is. Anybody here grew up with that? Let me say it again. The more certain you are in your beliefs, the stronger your faith is. The ironic thing is that the opposite of faith is not doubt. Faith and doubt actually go together. They can't be separated. One of the definitions of faith, you've probably heard, is believing without seeing. Jesus in this encounter with Thomas even says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now, before I get to this next part, I, I got to share with you how in sync Jim Allman and I are. Jim, Jim Allman, I don't know if you're watching, but... So earlier this week, he posted on Facebook this artwork um, uh, that depicted this scene between uh, Jesus and Thomas. And I had never seen this, but man, I, I just spent a lot of time looking at this and learning more about the piece of art because I was teaching on this. Well, then yesterday, Jim Allman does another Facebook post on Indiana Jones. And Jim Allman, I have to tell you that I'm preaching on Indiana Jones as well. Like, that's, that's divine, y'all, if you're wondering. Um, and that story does not go towards my time allotment, Matt Brown. That's just, that's just extra. So if you remember the great movie Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, um, he's looking for the Holy Grail, right? And he's almost there when he comes to this chasm that he can't simply jump across. And he realizes that it's going to take, he calls it, a leap of faith. He literally has to take a step into the abyss, risking his life, which we're going to come back to this word risk in a bit. It's only when he takes the step that he sees that there's a bridge. Okay, think he wasn't full of doubt in that moment? One of the authors that, pastors that, that's really helped me with this is a guy named Greg Boyd. He's a pastor in Minneapolis, and he wrote this book called Benefit of the Doubt a while back. I want to read a little section of it. He says, The only way to determine if a belief is true is to rationally investigate it, which means you have to doubt it. 
It's simply impossible for people to be concerned that their beliefs are true unless they're genuinely open to the possibility that their current beliefs are false. There are no two ways around it. When we think about it this way, in light of this, we see that the opposite of faith is not doubt. It's actually certainty. The very thing a lot of us were taught was a true mark of spirituality. It's pretty messed up, right? Um, And I get this. I, I feel like I lived a lot of my life with this. There were a lot of years when I was just had a lot of fear of getting things wrong, getting things wrong when it came to God. I remember not wanting to read this author named Bart Ehrman because I thought it might lead me to becoming an atheist. And that was while I was a pastor. A bit of fear. I, I thought about this story um, this week as I was thinking about uh, this topic. Um, during my first year of being a pastor, there were some guys that were, would get together every week to to read and discuss the Bible, and they were reading 1 Corinthians, which is a challenging letter on a lot of levels. But one guy apparently shared to the other guy that he thought Paul was a little chauvinistic. And uh, the other guy with him, who was kind of the leader, kind of corrected him because he felt that if you were calling that to Paul, it also meant that you were saying that was the same thing about God. And he didn't think that was true with God. So he was very concerned, and he came to me. And I told him I didn't think there was a real problem. I said, um, I sometimes think Paul's a bit of a male chauvinist. I said, I think he did a ton to elevate women, but he was also just a product of his time. But I didn't think that that meant that God viewed women in this way. And maybe you can imagine that the conversation with this leader did not go very well for Robert. Um, and at the time, I wasn't sure if I was right. Was I a heretic? I sure hope not, but I knew that I was seeking to be honest with my questions. I was allowing myself to read the Bible without glossing over the parts that are confusing or that I had a problem with. I was just trying to be honest. Um, I also knew that uh, I wanted to create a safe place for other people with questions. Uh, We had a lot of people, probably like Christ City was, is, uh, with, with people who had grown up in church And then for whatever reasons, maybe they moved away from where they grew up or they just were exposed to other beliefs that they begin to question. And sometimes they didn't have a safe place to ask those questions. So I wanted to create that. I I always loved talking with people, even if there was a lot of heresy, because at the end of the day, we all got a bit of heresy in us, and it's part of just human nature. So hopefully you've talked a little bit about why skepticism is okay, it's not frowned upon. I do want to talk a little bit with our remaining time just on the limitations of skepticism or more important, how we overcome those limitations. And to do that, I want to talk about kind of three shifts, three movements. And the first is that we need to move from isolation to community. There's a tendency within each one of us to to get private with our big questions. And we do this makes perfect sense. We do this because we're not sure how others are going to respond with our questions, with our doubting. I've always encouraged people with big questions to talk about them. Don't isolate yourself. And so community is one of those things that right now has looked really different. I've, I've, like probably many of you, I've spent a lot of time thinking about community this last year. It's community in an age of COVID, and it looks, it's looked really differently. Now, I'm an introvert, and so this time has, 
um, not been as hard, perhaps if you're an extrovert or if you live by yourself um, and have faced a lot more isolation. For me, um, not having commitments at night and having fewer places where I had to do small talk was actually really good. Um, but, it's, but I've also recognized, even in that, that there's been a void, um, just not having people in my life like I was used to. And so I've been thinking a lot just about community and been thinking a lot about friendship and what I need, what I want. And it just comes down to, I, I just want a few friends that will have the freedom to ask me the hard questions and that I have a safe place to talk. And that's a treasured thing. And this year, not having some of that, or it's definitely been harder, um, has made me appreciate those things. So getting back to the story, it's, it's important to note where Thomas is when Jesus first appears to the, the disciples. They're in that upper room with the door locked. Why? Because they're scared. They don't want the same thing that's happened to their friend Jesus to happen to them. Where's Thomas? We don't know, but he's not with them. Maybe he's gone, gone to the grocery store. Maybe he's told them he just needs a moment or a month. He needs space, and sometimes that's, that is needed. The good news is that he doesn't stay away, or perhaps it's better said that his friends don't allow him to stay away. So after Jesus shows up, they're overjoyed, and they go find him. That's a good set of friends. There's the tendency to distance ourselves when we're deconstructing, when we're asking the questions, but I encourage you to press into friendship and community. I know... Some of my story, when I retired from vocational ministry almost two years ago, I knew it was really important for me to be a part of a church where I could just be for a little while. There are a lot of pastors I know that when they leave vocational ministry, they, for sometimes, they start deconstructing their faith for the first time ever. And sometimes because their job no longer requires it. That's a that's an unhealthy thing, obviously, but it's a scary thing, too. I knew Robin really well, and I knew that Christ City, that he'd be a good pastor for me to be under, who would be okay with my questions, and Christ City would, therefore, I thought, be a, a safe place. I've been really grateful for that. So in a year marked by isolation, I think there's the encouragement that I would give of just pushing against isolation and, and being able to talk with friends. The next shift is moving from arrogance to humility. There's the, another tendency in each one of us, each one of us, when we begin to move from a, where we once were to a new place, perhaps a more evolved state, to think that we've arrived. You ever felt that? I think anybody who's been young, which is all of us, we've been there. I know uh, when I was young, couple years out of college, Mandy and I were pretty newly married. We moved from the Bible Belt to San Francisco, and there were some good motives in there, but there was also some arrogance in there, just needing to get away. And it's, it's pretty normal, but it's also something that we need to fight. And the way that we fight arrogance is through humbling ourselves. I think I've shared this quote maybe on a Sunday. I know I've shared it in Alpha, but it's from N.T. Wright, and he says, there's something I think I'm right about that I'm actually wrong about, and I'm not sure what that is. That is humility. There's something I think I'm right about that I'm actually wrong about, and I'm not sure what it is. 
I love that. That gives such freedom. Because growing means changing. And when we change, we're going to get a lot right, and we're going to get some stuff wrong, and it's okay. Just walk in humility, and we'll be okay. The last shift is moving from passivity to intentionality. Humility will drive you to do some honest seeking. And what I've found is that seeking is not a spectator sport. There's nothing passive about it. It requires diligence. It requires time. I've encountered a lot of people who feel superior that they no longer believe what they once believed. And then they leave it at that. As if that were the finish line. Their arrogance leads to passivity. Humility, though, should lead us to intentionality. And listen, um, this is just the age we're in. If you feel like I'm calling you out, I'm calling me out. I'm calling us all out because we have this tendency in churches that look way different from the churches maybe we grew up with. But we have to fight this. In this story, it's important to notice how Jesus responds to Thomas. It's a week later, and this time Thomas is with his buddies when Jesus suddenly appears. And sidebar, I love how Jesus each time, three times in this passage, says, peace be with you. That's not kind of his normal thing, but the reason is because they're freaked out because he's just appearing. I think Peter's probably said 10 bad words in 15 seconds. They're freaked out, and so he's saying, peace be with you. I like, I like that. So Jesus doesn't shame Thomas. He, he's obviously heard what Thomas said, right, that I'm not going to believe until I see, until I actually touch and see where the wounds were. What does Jesus do? There's a lot of ways Jesus could have gone about that. But Jesus meets him where he's at. He invites him to touch his side. But he doesn't leave it at that, does he? He challenges him to go deeper. He calls him to a deeper faith. And it's in this moment that Thomas responds like few others, my Lord and my God. I think he's probably always believed this in his head. But now he believes it in a whole new way. It's penetrated his heart. And it was because he was given space to go through the process. Because this most likely isn't the first time Thomas has had questions. He stuck with Jesus in the midst of his questions. He stuck with the community. They didn't drive him away by saying... Yeah, you can't ask that question. <laughs> Jesus is right over there. They didn't drive him away, but, but here's this. He didn't drive himself away either. I know that you're in a safe place here at Christ City. Leadership's not going to frown on your questions, on your skepticism, on your doubts. But you have to decide how deep you're going to go in. And if you're new to all this, or if you have some trauma from your past dealings with a church, come hang out in the shallow end. There's, there's a lot of us there. We get that. Test the water. That's perfectly fine. But if you've been around this for a while, maybe the challenge for you is to dive in a little bit deeper, to take some risks. Because while faith does not requires certainty, it does require taking risks. 
I didn't hear much about that growing up, and I wish I had. If, if you desire to follow Jesus, I want to tell you that he is way less freaked out about things than maybe you believe. But he's also going to call you to do some stuff that might not make sense, that might not feel comfortable, things that might seem countercultural to what the world says is the good life. Maybe to make some decisions that in the moment might not add up. He's going to call you to walk by faith, not by sight. That's what he does here with Thomas. The times that I have grown most in my life have come when I had absolutely no clue what to do. When my plan did not work out like I thought it would. And I wasn't sure what tomorrow would bring. Do I like these moments? Heck no. I hate them. But I have learned that they are good moments. Because it's in these moments that my trust grows, my dependence grows. I mentioned that Greg Boyd has helped me with this. The the author, though, that has helped me the most is Brennan Manning. Um, I don't know if you've read any of his stuff, but he's got a book called Ruthless Trust. And in it, he says that childlike surrender in trust is the defining spirit of authentic discipleship. Let me read it again. Childlike surrender in trust is the defining spirit of authentic discipleship. Contrast that with certainty being the mark of discipleship. So different. I'll end with this last story from Mark chapter 9. It's a story about a dad who has brought his son to the disciples. His son has been possessed by some kind of spirit. The dad is scared, he's angry. More than anything, though, he's at the end of his rope. He is helpless. He's desperate. Jesus shows up, and he asks him some questions. He's digging deeper. And the dad says, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus responds, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. The dad's response is one of the best responses ever. I do believe Help my unbelief. This is one of my favorite guys in the Bible. This is all we got of him. He's not putting on a false front. He's honest with his doubts. But he's also aware of the fact that it's not all or nothing. He's desperately dependent in this moment. There are parts that he believes, and so that's his starting place. And Jesus loves that. Now, is there risk involved in this moment? What happens if he goes to that place of helplessness and Jesus doesn't come through? Have you experienced that? When you thought things would work out and they didn't? When you prayed desperately for the miracle and it didn't come? When Indiana Jones takes the step of faith and the bridge isn't there? That'd be a terrible ending to the movie, wouldn't it? In those moments, it is human tendency to learn your lesson and never go there again. And maybe that's what's happened to Thomas. Maybe there's more to his story than we see. Jesus is tender in these moments. He's going to encourage you to come closer, to try again, and it's hard it's hard. If you're 
in that place, I want to encourage you that Jesus is closer than you think. He loves you, and he's for you. And I can say that as a skeptic who at times has been really scared with my questions, but has been in places where people told me, you're okay. And in spite, and, and, and as I had a safe place to ask the questions, I came to the conclusion that the best way of life comes in following Jesus. That's where I came to because I had the space to do it. That's where it seems Thomas came to because he had the space to do it. Jesus is patient with us. No matter what we've been led to believe, he's patient, he's kind, he's gentle, he's tender. And no matter where we're at, he just invites us to come. He just invites us to come. And um, I'm glad to be at a church where we can give that space and be patient with one another. Um, and this morning we have an opportunity as well to just come, to receive. And if you're in this building, to tangibly take the, the bread and the cup. If you are at home, um, I would just encourage you to, to think about what that means for you today. So let's pray together. Jesus, I am grateful for just a space to think about who you are, these stories, to be reminded of your interaction with ordinary men and women, to, to be faced with the hard parts of these stories, to as best as we can put ourselves in the shoes of the men and women you were around, to ask the questions, to struggle, to wrestle. I thank you that we can do that, not in isolation, but within a community of people who care for us, of some people who have gone ahead of us, of some people who are some steps behind. It's good to be a part of a community like this, and I'm grateful for that. I pray, Jesus, as our risen king, that you would guide our, continue to guide our time this morning. We uh, give you praise, we worship you, we honor you, and uh, have your way in this time. In your name we pray, amen.